0: We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Ploege with the Nebraska Game
1: and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources.
0: And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures.
1: Welcome back to she goes outdoors, uh, listeners. It's so nice to be back with you again. And, um, I am here enjoying this cool weather. It it finally feels like fall is in the air, uh, football, leaves, trees, squirrels are going crazy and Halloween is just around the corner. Um, probably my favorite time of the year, uh, for those of you that, that have been out, the fishing has been wonderful the listeners know that I'm such an awesome fisherman that uh, I usually don't catch anything, but had the, had the opportunity to go up to Lake Okoboji in Northwest Iowa last week and got to do some fishing out on the lake and it was wonderful. Um, and, and when we were out there, you know, we, of course, I didn't catch a boot this time. I didn't catch a life jacket, but I did catch some beautiful um floating vegetation and while I was looking at this vegetation there were these little not so wonderful creatures on it and that's what we're going to be talking to about today so I'm so excited to have Julia here um and I'm going to toss it to her to get started on our on our conversation.
0: Hi Rachel and oh I was so excited to have heard you were able to get out fishing for um boots and life jackets and uh, plankton mm-hmm. and yeah. I mean, that sounds like my fishing experience as well, but it has certainly been beautiful uh, give and take on some days here in Nebraska. We've been, you know, hit 90 degrees two days ago. Yes, October like 23rd was 90 degrees and then the next day is 50, but eh, (laughs) set aside, it's Nebraska, right? So our guest today, our guest (laughs) today is Christopher Starr with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. Uh, he's here today to talk about invaders. And I think that might, uh, Rachel's led into the conversation on these invaders. So, uh, you know, dark, sometimes small, sometimes large, attacking invasive invaders. And she had mentioned Halloween. So I thought, well, heck, we're just going to make this kind of a spooky, eerie sound- sounding episode. What other way to talk about these these things? They uh, they are hitchhiking, right? Hitchhiking uh, from one area to the next. Now, if I, as I think about hitchhikers, I remember like those movies back in the 80s. Yes, that dates me. The 80s, like never pick up a hitchhiker. And if you do like doesn't that sound like Halloween sounding like hitchhikers dressed in like Spooky clothes. Okay, I'm probably, yeah, I'm judging them by their cover, but that's right. Like, I'm just, I'm picture, just taking you back to that sounding as we bring in the suspense. But we're gonna lead in the suspense. We're gonna leave you at suspense of these hitchhikers as we introduce our guest, Christopher. Introduce yourself, Christopher. Where do you
2: work? What do you do? Hey, yeah, it's awesome to be here. Um, I work in Lincoln. I'm our AIS program manager. That um, stands for I'm a aquatic invasive species. Nebraska is relatively new. I'm our very first AIS program manager. Um, so compared to other states, we're, we're kind of just getting our program up and running. And yeah, I'm in charge of all the invaders that are attacking our waterways in the, in Nebraska. So I I travel all over the state all summer sampling lakes and have a team of technicians out doing boat inspections to help stop the spread of these hitchhikers.
1: Christopher, we always ask our guests, like, how did you get into this world? How did you even know that AIS or the aquatic invasive species world was like a thing?
2: Well, it's actually kind of a funny story. So, yeah, I went to college at South Dakota State, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I majored in wildlife and fish. And between my freshman and sophomore years, I was starting to look for internships and seasonal jobs. And uh, it just so happened, my very first seasonal job was with the Iowa DNR doing it species, so that that was my very first entry level into this, you know, this whole realm. I, you know, did a lot of other stuff, and then yeah, I came back to Nebraska after a while, and yeah, I I love working with AIS because it's really trying to protect pretty much everything we have. So yeah, it's kind of pretty you know crazy. The first seasonal job thirteen years ago to, <laughs> to now doing the same thing, so.
1: That's awesome. And, and you kind of led into it, but what, what was it about these, you know, our, our conversation today is kind of talking about, as, as Julia mentioned, hitchhikers or, or aquatic invasive species, like why, why focus your, your life, your, your studies, your, your energies on um, such a topic?
2: You know, I've, I've worked with sport fish and, you know, I worked in Arizona on endangered species too. And, you know, we saw what non-native species can do to our native species, right? So, you know, that's, that's really why I'm passionate about it, you know. And then you talk about all the people that, you know, that try and recreate on the water. It impacts them and, and you know, in the communities, with, you know, with tourism, we get zebra mussels in a lake or something like that. So, you know, of course, I'll say it. I think it's a pretty important thing we do here. Um, a game in parks because you know a lot of these invaders like you're talking about once they're there they're there forever right so you get one chance so and that's why as stressful as it is sometimes um you know that that and that's why we do it is you know to to try and stop that so i you know but that way these waterways aren't infested for years to come forever so because yeah it, it takes one person to to ruin a lake for everybody
0: the pressure, that one person, holy smokes, I don't want to be that one person ever, right? So, you know, we're going to get into how later on in this episode, how we don't become that one person. So let's go back to these these hitchhikers, these eerie Halloween-focused today hitchhikers. Now, they're not always Halloween, and, and we're, just, <laughs> we're just adding that to the conversation given the timing of this episode, but what are they? What are they doing? Um, Explain the zebra mussel to us.
2: Gotcha. Well, we have kind of three groups of AIS. We have invasive fish species, invertebrates, and weeds. So we kind of have three categories. Um, In the invertebrate, the zebra mussel is obviously the one that gets most talked about and probably has the largest impact. You know, zebra mussel is a, a small mollusk about, you know, they don't get much bigger than the size of your thumbnail. And they get their name because they have these white, uh, these these light and dark bands on them that look kind of like a zebra, right? But but what makes them so, you know, I guess they're also native to Eastern Europe. So that's, you know, that's how they're native there. And they got introduced to the US via ballast water in the Great Lakes. So they made their way down to Mississippi and now we have them a lot over the Eastern United States um, and pretty much how they're spread are by people with boats or, or their outdoor recreational gear. So, so you say, so yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty bad. So, you know, and that, and that's where you, know, you talk about hitchhikers, you know, uh, the zebra mussel has a unique stage where um, they have the, uh, these larvae are microscopic called villagers, right? Um, and they're invisible, they're invisible to the naked eye. So a lot of people transport these hitchhikers and don't know it too, so that's kind of the scary part is you don't even need a whole adult live mussel to 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 spread this from lake to lake you can even have just a few traps of water in your boat and and go to a different lake and that can, have, can cause a whole new infestation so and that, and that's how you know and that's why they're so hard to stop because you know we we you know we can't be everywhere <laughs> you know um so so that's kind of why the zebra mussel is so bad and you know they you know, they really damage our ecosystems. And um, I can talk more about that if you guys would like. You, you know, you know, I often get asked, well, why are zebra mussels so bad? Because one thing that people notice is it really, when zebra mussels really get established, it clears the water up. It's usually crystal, you know, you can see down 10 feet. And most fishermen think that's good. I've actually had fishermen tell me, we want more zebra mussels. I said, no, 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 no. Because basically what they're doing is starving the ecosystem from the bottom up. So one Zero muscle the size of my thumbnail can, can um can filter well, I'm over a liter of water per day. So what they do is they take all the phytoplankton you know, and the zooplankton out of the ecosystem. So there's nothing for invertebrates to eat, for small fish to eat, for you know, so so eventually it's gonna damage everything in the lake. Um, you know, and that's really the big problem. And then talk about, you know, you were on the Okebogis, right? And that's a popular place to go recreate and swim. Um, and these these little zebra mussels have really sharp shells and they can cut your feet. I've had my feet cut on before. Um, they clog infrastructure and, you know, a lot of the dams and the power generating stations spend hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars a year trying to control them in their pipes. So people often ask, well, it's not such a big deal. Saying, well, it, it is, you know, you, know you, you might not see the impacts right away, but eventually you're going to see them. And then you talk about what strategies we have to contain it and then it spreads even more water bodies and it's kind of you know like a brush wire from there so you know, that's that's probably the ais that we're most worried about just because you know it only takes one person like i said one person that doesn't even have a light muscle on their boat just has some water in their bilge can spread it so um but that's that's kind of the thing is helping them understand it's it's uh you know kind of have everyone have a stake in this ecosystem and these resources to kind of do the right thing but it's yeah it's tough and you see in other states they they're spread minnesota has tons of lake and zebra mussels on them um we're in nebraska we're a little more fortunate luckily so we're we're trying to keep it that way
1: yeah and and you bring up such a good point about them being so small and and kind of just living in the water when we were fishing on Okaboji, I pulled up some some you know wonderfully caught <laughs> seaweed and I couldn't even see it but I could feel it. And then once I finally got in, I mean the zero muscle was smaller than a pinhead, like a like a sewing mm-hmm. needle pin. I couldn't believe how small. I'm like, that's like the size of a pencil tip right there. And yet that one tiny muscle is gonna be doing such damage to such an ecosystem it's just insane and and then when you see like anchors or any docks things that are in water for a longer time and once they come out of the water just to see how they those muscles just literally cake on to each other it's just it's it's mind-boggling to think how many little muscles can live on such a small thing.
2: Oh yeah. And I, so we've actually, you know, actually seen like our native mussels, the zipper mussels will attach on top of them and pretty much smother them too. Right. So, you know, they, they, they directly hurt our native mussels too. But you're right. Like you go to some of these lakes and you just see, you know, when the water goes down, the shore is just hundreds of thousands of these shells everywhere. It's, it's just, it's insane how dense they can get, like you were saying, because they just overtake everything, you know, you know one female zebra mussel can lay over a million eggs you know so we're talking just you know that's why you know we once they're established we have pretty limited options you know that's why if we can catch it early we can do this do something but a lot of times once they're there they're there because you talk about how many of them like it's impossible to get rid of them all so yeah you talk about being spooky that's that's kind of the thing is it is pretty scary
1: absolutely <laughs> now I have a question for you if so, these are aquatic mussels, so they live in water. So if if we take them out of water, are they going to die? Can they live outside of the water? What what's kind of how does that work?
2: Uh, they they can live outside of the water. Um, it, it, a lot depends on temperature, but like it's nice and moist and cool. They can live several days out of water. Right. So that's the other thing. You know, it, it, you know it's it's a lot shorter time for them to die, and you know it's really hot and humid, right? They they you know they don't like that, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the big thing is they can still survive out of water because you know they um, they you know they close up, and we've seen them on boats and stuff like that. So that's yeah, that's the other thing, and you know talk about the villagers, you know as long as there's some water in your boat, they can stay viable for you know days or weeks, you know, depending on water temperature too. So. Um yeah it's you know we talk about invaders and that's why they just are so good at invading and you know cuz they you know like you said they just can hitchhike for days outside the water
0: So you briefly kind of mentioned uh what they looked like they got that zebra striped look Can you just you know enhance me a bit, little bit a uh, description of that zebra muscle and then like how is it different than other muscles cuz we have I mean there's good muscles out there too right
2: you know the big thing about the difference between zebra muscles and our native muscles. Our, our zebra muscles are very, very small, right? So you know they're they're going to be a lot of times you know smaller than your thumbnail, and they're and they're kind of a D shaped clam if you want to look at it that way. Where you know you see our big muscles on the shoreline, right? They're more oval, and, and you know and that goes back because they're so small, they can really pack so many in a short you know space that you know the, our, our native muscles can't do. You know and, and our native mussels aren't near as a voracious eater right so they don't filter out all you know everything the ecosystem needs so and, you know because they're they're part of it so yeah that, that, that that's really the biggest you know difference between zebra mussels and our native mussels is they're they have no role in the ecosystem they're tiny and they just can compete you know just outcompete all of our native muscles because they can like i said one tiny zebra muscle can filter a liter of water every single day so you know you think about when you have hundreds of thousands right you're talking about there there you know there's nothing left and yeah our 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 native muscles you know don't don't really do that so um, but but again that's that's the other problem zebra muscles are directly hurting our native muscles too so yeah, it's all pretty scary.
0: <laughs> Does it get to be a point in time, you know, like a carrying capacity situation where they have filtered out so much of what they have needed for themselves that eventually they will die because they have cleaned out what they needed for survival?
2: Yeah, we, you know, we've seen this on the Missouri River and Lewis and Clark Reservoir where, yeah, once they reach a certain maximum, these these populations kind of, you know go up and down you know they're they're you know that's where we see this kind of you know like a graph where you know kind of oscillates up and down that's kind of what the population does so you know they may be knocked back you know just because of that you know but they can rebound so yeah they they never really die back due to lack of food what they do is just kind of readjust their population so um they're they are very 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 resilient you know, and that's why they're so bad is they, they, they find ways to survive. And yeah, so, so that's the other part of it is, yeah, they don't just kind of naturally die out. Like, you know, that's why I said once they're there, they're there forever. And they, you know, like we've seen on the Missouri river, we've had good years and bad years. Like you know, for instance, this year, in the Missouri river, there were a ton of zebra mussels. So, you know, compared to last year of the year, and that's just kind of how eventually the, you're right, they'll reach that kind of max and then they'll kind of die back, but then they're always going to come back. So.
0: I found interesting that there's a lot of them in the Missouri River right now because the level of water going down across our state. So I was kind of curious, you know, as we're talking about carrying capacity in populations of up and down, you know, in my mind, I would see, okay, there is less body of water this year because we're in drought. Um, I'm just curious, you know, is that a study that you're going to be looking at? Will a drought affect their population?
2: Oh yeah. I'm absolutely, they'll affect their population. You know, you know, I, you know, I was on the Missouri this spring when we still had some water. Right. But, you know, I'm sure a lot of those places now where some of these zebra mussels are hiding out are dry. You, you're exactly right. It definitely makes an impact, you know, this drought on, on some of that, you know, and, you, you know, you know, and that's kind of the difference between the mainstone Missouri and actually these big reservoirs because these big reservoirs are always going to have water. Right. Um, but, but yeah, these, you know, down on the lower Missouri river, yeah, it's, that's you know that's really impacting zebra mussels. And that, and actually some other AIS too. Like we have the invasive uh, silver and big head a carp. Uh, the silvers are the one that jump up, you know, out of people and get huge and break people's like, collarbones. I've been hit by him in the face. It's not a fun time. Um, but yeah, you know, you see the plats dry, you know, earlier this year. So, you know, in, in a way that's sort of helping us too, right? Because if there's no water, they can't move up. But, you know, of course, then there's no water for our native species. <laughs> so, right. um, so, yeah, we, we're, we're kind of seeing that. And it's, it'll be interesting to see if we have this kind of a prolonged drought, how that does affect our zebra mussels, you know. So, um, yeah, that's something we're going to look at for sure, you know, come around the state. Because you go, you know, out western Nebraska, these big irrigation reservoirs, they, you know, they drop 20 feet, right? Yeah. You get a in. And, you know, for example, if, if we, if we happen to get an infestation, that might, that, that might help us because, you know, whatever is now out, is now, you know, um, out of the water. But again, these, these things are, are pretty resilient and they'll move down in deeper water too. So that's, I, I definitely, you're, you're exactly right. It's definitely helping us with a, not sure to what degree, um, it'll be interesting to see you next spring, how many zebra mussels we get, because maybe that might be something we can look at and kind of. Track through time because um, what what we do do is we do go all around the state, um, sampling lakes and taking water samples, and um, we bring them back here to our headquarters. And I actually look at the microscope, and we can actually look and see these 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 microscopic belligers. So the past few years, what we've been doing on a Missouri um, is actually taking some samples from infested water and counting how many belligers we have, so we can kind of get an idea you know, is it going up or they're going down, something like that. And that's something that, you know, like I said, it's a relatively new program in Nebraska that we we really haven't done before. So um I actually have water samples on my desk. I need to process from the Missouri. So that's something I'm going to be doing in the next few years. So, yeah, I'll have to keep you guys updated on that.
0: Please do. I feel like we're going to have to touch base. And, like, I'm just interesting how I'm curious to, like, how these zebra mussels, because if they're so adaptable, like – I feel like they're morphing into something that'll be acceptable and be able to survive through droughts. I just, here's another Halloween scary movie coming on.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I mean, I guess it's important to, excuse me, to think that they do have some predator, right? Like there are some ducks that eat them. There are some drums, some fish, but what are you know what can be eaten compared to what exists are just yeah, two totally different numbers so yeah it's, so, it's,
2: it's a very small amount that get consumed You know, relative when we're talking about hundreds of thousands per square meter you know um yeah you know and and actually we've even seen it before um you know when i worked in oklahoma we they you know we did a study where um, the blue cats uh, the blue catfish will eat the zebra mussels and they actually pass through the, uh, the blue catfish alive. Some of them Oh, did.
1: that's even scarier. Yeah, yeah
2: right? So, <laughs> so um, just yeah. when you think
1: you have a natural predator, uh, just um, kidding.
2: Yeah, yeah I know. And that's, you know, I've even seen, you talk about drum and stuff like that. I've seen drum, I, you know, you, you cut them open and their their insides are all, you know, cut up. You know, because again, these zebra mussels are sharp too. So Um, yeah, it's, it's
1: not, (laughs) it's not good. So I, to, not to change the subject, but to change the subject a little bit, we talked a lot about zebra mussels and there are other invasive mussels, at least here in Iowa, I believe like the, I'm going to butcher this poor name, but the quagga mussel. The quagga
2: mussel. Yep. It's kind of a cousin of the zebra mussel. Um, we, we don't have them in Nebraska. They're, They're found more out in Western United States, Uh, when I was in Arizona, for instance, they're in the Colorado with Lake Mead and Lake Powell and stuff like that. So yeah, out there, they're quagga mussels and quagga mussels can actually, um, they can actually live in deeper water than zebra mussels can. So that's that's something with these big lakes out west that they really take hold and that's why those states out west spend millions of dollars at Lake Mead and like you know, all, all those really popular lakes, right, where they have all these people working. You know, for instance, you know, my, I think mean, Montana had over 200 boat inspectors this year. Wow! But so we had seven. Iowa has about 20 or 30, from what I remember when I worked there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, compared to some of these western states, it's a, you know, it's it's a definitely a different way that they manage them because they are quote unquote uninfested, right? In some of these ones like Utah and stuff like that. So, yeah, we have, yeah, we, in Nebraska, we don't have the quagga mussels. As far as I know, they're not in the Missouri River uh, right now. But, yeah, but, again, you know, they can, you know, you can have zebra mussels and uh, uh, quagga mussels, too, in the same water body. So um, that's the whole other thing.
1: Yeah. And, and just for perspective, I mean, you kind of mentioned how the zebra mussels entered to the United States and it was through the shipping channels uh, from the Great Lakes. And, and I was lucky enough to be on the Mississippi, but being on the Mississippi River, it kind of opens our entire state up to whatever invasive species, um, you know, m- may come along with that. So, So we're l- lucky on one hand to be part of that giant transportation wheel uh that economic boom but at the same time for our waterways there are very you know we have to be careful because of all these things coming in from from all over the world really
2: oh yeah and you know we talked about the silver and the big head carp right and that's sort of how they spread right they they were spread you know, they, they were used in fish farms and they escaped and they went up the Mississippi. And then, of course, the Mississippi's connected to the Missouri. So now they're all the way up here. Now they're in the plat. Now they're in the loop. So, again, yeah, they're all connected. Um, and, you know, like you said, once you kind of release it, they're, they're gone, right? But you're right. It's, it's um, yeah, we see a lot of, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of invasives kind of spread that way.
1: And for anyone that's listening and isn't quite sure what we're talking about with the silver carp, do yourself a favor and go to YouTube and just type in like silver carp and just watch some of the videos because you'll instantly understand like these are 40, 60 pound fish, right. That are jumping out of the water. They're often jumping after like boat wakes because of the turbulence in the water, they're jumping out of the water and you can't see my hands, but they're going crazy. (laughs) And, and to Christopher's point, like they have, they hit people and, and, and it's not, it's not like a nice little hug. It's like a, you know, 300 pound. Football tackle is coming after you, and it feels like it. And um, it's just there's some amazingly funny videos out there of the silver carp, um, and and what people will wear on their boat to protect themselves.
2: <laughs> so. Oh yeah, I've seen football helmets. I've seen <laughs> yeah, all kinds of stuff. You know, yeah, because yeah, nice. I've been hit several times by by these guys. Because yeah, you know, because you know, and one way we sample them is be, uh, you know. I'm boat shocking, right? So we do electrofishing, and that really makes them upset, you know? <laughs> you know? So, you know, you you, you, know, you turn on the generator, and you just see just a boil, right? All these fish jumping, 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 right? So and some of them, like you said, are big. So, you know, we actually did an event um, up on the Missouri at Ponca State Park here in Nebraska um, earlier this year. And we had some folks that were doing some kayaking, right? And actually one of the gals got hit in the head by a silver carp while she was out kayaking. So
1: That's the last thing you prepare for when you're getting your kayak ready. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure you know you have your phone in your waterproof case and your life jacket on and your paddle. The last thing you're thinking about is a jumping silver carp you know either hitting you or jumping into your
2: boat with you oh yeah so yeah that was I've, i that's i think that's the first time i've heard of someone hitting a kayaker i'm sure it's not the first that it's ever happened that's the first time i've heard of it so um yeah and you know they're like a lot of zebra mussels too they you know they, they they really pack the ecosystem with so many fish they're so fecund they put so many eggs out um, and they kind of do the same thing as zebra mussels where the silvers kind of eat phytoplankton and the big heads eat zooplankton. So again, there's even less food out there in the ecosystem with zebra mussels with all that stuff. So it's, yeah, I and you know, in AIS we're always aware of something new too, right? <laughs> we're always something new because um, you guys talk about zebra mussels and I'm not sure if you guys remember, but you know a couple of years ago, we kind of had this mass scramble where we were finding zebra mussels in moss balls at pet stores, um, where, where we got tipped off at Petco. Uh, yeah. So we actually had a mad scramble. I found them in Nebraska. We, they were found in Iowa all across the country where these little moss balls kind of beta buddies have zebra mussels in them people put in their fish tank and they dump the water down the drain, they dump the water out. And that was kind of, well, yeah, DEFCON 5, right? So,
0: oh my gosh. It's um, like the gremlins. Like, it's not yeah. this-
2: <laughs> And And that's something that we never thought would be a vector for that, right? So, and that's that's another thing that, you know, you talk about something scary, you know, is kind of this whole world into the pet industry, right? Where you can buy anything on eBay and get it shipped to your house. So... One fast story, if I have some time about that, if that's okay.
0: Go for it. Like, I,
2: let's get the gremlins. Scary.
0: I got gremlins in my head. I'm sorry. Well, you talk
2: about gremlins and being scared. So, you know, you know, a, you, know you can Google this you know, if you want. But one invasive species that, that we're worried about that kind of is new on the radar is a new a species of crayfish. It's called the marbled crayfish, right? And they were actually kind of made accidentally, I believe, in Europe uh, by kind of breeding a couple different species of of crayfish. Um, But what makes these so scary is they don't need a mate to reproduce. They can actually pretty much just, clone themselves, which is really scary. You know, I think in Europe, they colonized, uh, you know, uh, I think an area the size of Indiana in like five years. They're crazy. And actually, Uh, There was a woman in Ohio that got busted by their Ohio DNR for selling these guys all over the United States via eBay. So, and yeah, they they had uniform law enforcement, you know, because it's against their regulations to do that. And um, so, yeah, talk about something scary, a more, you know, something that can clone itself. Um, And, you know, a crayfish is fairly mobile, right? So you know, and that's where we talk about people dumping stuff in lakes and rivers and everything like that. Right. So, um, talk about something scary. That was, you know, that's, that's pretty scary because then it just takes one little crayfish and they can clone themselves and it's, um, uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. I encourage you to, yeah, you know, I think, you know, just type in Ohio marble crayfish. I'm sure you could find the story, but, um, but, but yeah, they, on shipped on eBay all over the country. And then, you know, you, you know, and then us kind of AIS folks are, you know, that's why we have a bunch of these don't dump you know, pet signs. Cause again, you talk about, it takes one person, it takes one person to dump something out of their fish tank that we don't even know about. Right. So, um, so there's kind of a scary story for you. Cause you know, that's, you know when i heard about it I'm like oh my gosh that sounds like the worst little thing i've ever heard it can clone itself that's like awful so yeah there, there's kind of a, a scary I scary invasive species story for it
1: if you do a quick dr wikipedia search the map is kind of terrifying it's pretty much taken a hold of all of europe and taiwan and china madagascar and japan so uh to say that it's spread in, in Europe and Asia would be uh, absolutely true. So that's, that's pretty crazy to, to think that, I mean, I guess, Christopher for you personally, like what, what better job security, right? Like there's always something on the horizon to Julia's original kind of thought process. Like there's always something lurking. You just don't know what's coming next and, and all, and you know, we as as professionals can just ask the public to to take a little bit and help us. Don't be that one, right? Like it, it's kind of it's kind of crazy because I mean, for Iowa and Nebraska, I mean, we have a common border, right? We we have the Missouri River, and in some spots, like there's Iowa that's actually in Nebraska, right? Depending on what <laughs> island you're looking at and and where the where the water has moved over the years so you know we definitely have the zebra mussel in iowa it sounds like nebraska is still kind of keeping keeping the gate up which is exciting but you know there's the ais world is so much bigger i mean here in iowa we certainly have like curly leaf pondweed That seems like it's everywhere we have eurasian i can never say this word but water watermilfoil everywhere you know so there's there are other you know w- while we might be winning on one front another front you know is is still is still there so
2: oh you're 100 percent, you know and like i said i when i started here i started sampling our lakes for the very first time ever for invasive weeds <laughs> um so yeah we found curly pond weed a bro eurasian water foil, now in several water bodies in nebraska and a lot of them aren't new. It's just that we never were out looking for them, right? So you know, you talk about job security. I always joke was like, the more I look, the more I find, right? So it's it's sort of like ignorance bliss kind of a thing until you start doing anything. But you're right again. We're you know, that, and that's you know, and that's why AIS is so you know. I I find it so interesting, but it can be challenging because you're right. Because then we're talking about pet stores and weeds and you know I, you know all kinds of stuff. So um, and again, there could be something that comes up out of nowhere like that marble crayfish where I hadn't even heard of the thing until Ohio DNR contacted me and I said, "Is that?" So like add that to the list to be worried about, I guess. So.
0: <laughs> hey, so on our She Goes Outdoors Facebook page, um, we did a little poll to see what type of boats our listeners own. Uh, you know, we had a great response, overwhelming response of our listeners that that responded to the question. Thank you to to those listeners that participated, but majority of them own a kayak or a canoe, which um, is great. You know, and you know sometimes <laughs> those vessels are in smaller bodies of water. And I think we've answered this as well that um, for maybe even shorter amount of times. Do you you like are those of that? Vet- are those invasive species hitchhiking on canoes and kayaks in those types of situations? You know, and and if they do, like, how should I clean those vessels? Should I clean those vessels, those smaller ones afterwards?
2: That's a great question. So, you know, the way we look at it is canoes and kayaks are definitely at a lower risk of spreading AIS, right? Compared to a boat. Um, Because a lot of them don't have any, you know, don't have any interior compartments, Right there's no motor, um, there's no bilge, there's no live well, things like that. So yeah, definitely canoes and kayaks are at a much lower risk than say some you know these big complex boats we have where water and zebra mussels can hide in little spots and everything like that. Um, so yeah, there is a chance there there is there is always a chance um, you know. And with canoes and kayaks, you know the best thing is just to let those things dry completely. You know, that's that's sort of what we say for all of our AIS for boats is is to clean, drain, dry, is to clean everything off the weeds, um, drain every single drop of water you can out of that boat um, or the canoe kayak and let it dry completely before going to a new water body. So um, you're right. Yeah. Canoes and kayaks for, you know, that's probably one you know, one uh, pro is, is, is that, is that they, they, they are at a lower risk because you're right. They're usually just round, smooth, no interior compartments. Um, but but there's always a chance and that's why, yeah, you know, you know, and I have uh, a kayak too and that's why, yeah, I just let that thing dry completely. Um, and the nice thing is they're turned upside down for a couple of few days. It seems like they're pretty much dry. So, Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, boat with all these compartments, it might take, depending on how hot it is outside, it might take a couple of weeks, right. Uh, you know, to dry completely.
1: So just for our listeners, can you kind of say that again? Clean, drain, dry is what we're, both of our departments, including Kansas, I know is going to yell this from the mountaintop also. Clean, drain, dry. Make sure you're taking the time, pulling those plugs when you're coming out of the body of water, doing the visual inspections, drying your boats down, cleaning out your live wells, because that, especially with the zebra mussel, can just be in the water, right? Yeah. Which is, which is so frightening. So taking that time um, and, and really kind of putting that ownership that you're not going to be the one to introduce it to a new body of
2: water. Absolutely, um, yeah. And clean, drain, dry is kind of a national thing because it's it's the best way we can do that. And, you know, and that's why you know, for zebra mussels, prevention is kind of our only management, right? Like I said, once they're there, they're there. There, you know, and that's where, you know, we, and that's why we do boat inspections, right? We did over 6,000 boat inspections this year, which is, you know, when I first started, we did 900, right, in 2020. So we're, we're really ramping up and we're finding stuff and we're, you know, so we're preventing your muscles rendering by doing, you know, doing the inspection. But, you know, but, but, but it's like you said, we can't be everywhere all the time. And that's why yeah it's it's important and that's why we've been trying in nebraska with the protect our waters thing is you know letting folks know that you know this is your lake you know if you want this lake to stay this way so you can bring your family you know generations from here you know have some ownership and you know and take the you know it doesn't take a whole lot of time to clean drain dry you know it 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 really doesn't right and then you're kind of doing your part because you you know as you say you talk about all the scope all the different ais um, problems we have, and I'm the only full-time person for the state of Nebraska, for the whole state, right? So, like, you think about that, that we just can't have a handle on every single tiny thing we do our best, and that's why um, we we rely on the public a lot, because because they're, you know, and I would say a lot of our, our anglers are pretty good, but but again, it, like I said, and that's where the scary part, kind of Halloween, it, it just takes one person can, can you know, basically just you know, destroy a lake forever, so.
1: And just to kind of follow that up, you know, we, we often, we always try and educate, right? That That's the first line is to educate and explain why. But at the end of the day, we are also, all of our agencies are regulatory agencies. We have, you know, code, we have federal code saying that we can enforce. And so um, in, in Iowa, I'm, Nebraska also, and Kansas also, but in Iowa is law. It is illegal to possess, introduce, purchase, sell, propagate, transport aquatic invasive species. So by law, you are required to do this also. And if you are found transporting or or introducing, you can be ticketed. Um, So just kind of a reminder, like we we always want to educate first, but there is
2: law backing all of these things also. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, each state kind of has different statutes and regulations, <laughs> but you know, you be right. It's, you know, and that's kind of what we, you know, we rely on with our law enforcement as well as, you know, we have these boat inspections and stuff like that, where, you know, it is, it's a $500 you know, ticket, right. And, and you can't launch your boat, you know, if, if, we, if we find them on there. that's the other thing you know and and that goes back to possessing like in in nebraska we have a a problem right now especially southeast part of the state with white perch um they're native to the eastern us and now they're in nebraska and it's actually illegal to possess a live white perch but we see them moved around because a lot of times people use them for live bait um and then they you know which again it's illegal to have a live white perch in possession but you know, and again, that's where you talk about like regulations and stuff like that. And, and, and that's why it's important because you're right. Some people, no matter how much you try and get that message, you know, to them, it, it doesn't go through. Right. So or, you know, that's so that's the other problem with that. But
0: the regulations are there for a purpose. It's to protect our waterways. We're not out there to be the bad guys, the bad ladies. We are out there to protect the waterways. And so. We're checking when you pull off that waterway that you have drained on site. And and we're checking so that you're not transporting that water away from the water source uh, to another water source. So that's what they're checking for. And to make, you know, when you speak of drain, drain on site of the water that you were there. Uh, same thing is, you know, they're checking if you're pulling in, that when you're pulling in with the boat, making sure that you're not transporting these invasives into this site that is clean because you don't want to be that one bad guy that has is now spread in those gremlins
2: absolutely and that's where you know we're what we're hoping for are people to you know for people to see other people doing that right and that kind of enforces this kind of a community thing where oh well he's doing it well i should probably do it too right so Yeah. I think a big part of that is like you guys talked about is having some ownership. And I think that's, that's probably the most effective is getting people like, this is your resource, right? You you know, you have to kind of do your part as well.
0: Exactly. You know, our listeners may be thinking, okay, this is October. Why are we, why are we talking boating, kayaking? The waters are starting to get cold. They're starting to freeze up. But recently nebraska human park sent out a news release that was titled cool weather aquatic hitchhikers and the purpose of that that article is not only to educate us about again remind us about these invasive species but to remind those people that are pulling their boats out of, out for the winter to clean them so it meant you know our listeners out there you may own a boat that is always stationed in the same waterway year round um, but you're, you're going to pull them out for the season that they need to be, as they're winterized, include cleaning them out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, that's so, yeah, especially like you talk about the Missouri River where there's houseboats and stuff like that, where we need people to understand that they have to clean that boat, you know. And, you know, kind of another thing with the press release is, you know, like I said, we do all these water samples and try and hit as many lakes as we can. But a lot of the times... Um, I know this has been the case in Iowa and some other states. A lot of times we learn about new infestations in the fall when people are taking docks out, boats out, stuff like that, buoys out. And that's where we need people to be looking. And if you find, you know, if you see something that, that you know, that may be a zebra mussel or something like that, you know, is to report it pretty promptly. Because, again, we talk about, you know, once they're established, there's not much we can do. Um, so, yeah, we're also, you know, yeah, so we're asking the folks that have these moored boats or docks or whatever to clean them. And when they're doing that, um, it, you know, if it's a lake that doesn't have zebra mussels to look because they might, they, they they may have been introduced there, but we don't know about it. But if we can get it early, that really helps us in our management. So, I'm crossing my fingers that no one calls me and says, Hey, I just pulled my boat out of Lake X and uh, it's got zebra mussels on it. And then um, it's kind of Depthcon con five and I <laughs> leave immediately from my office with a boat and go straight to that lake. So um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, and you talk about, you know, and, and, and one thing as well that we've been trying to do as well is uh, you know, you talk about aquatic based species uh, right now, duck hunting is a big thing too. Right. So spreading weeds and we can spread zebra mussels that way too. So, um, you know, we talk about boats and stuff and, you know, then you get, you know, really get an idea of just how many people use these waters. So, um, yeah, we give a press release and, you know, we're hoping to get some good response from folks that clean them off and to report anything they see.
1: And Christopher, what's the, if, if they see something, what's the best way to, to report it? Do they call you? Do they... Uh, run down a game of parks like what's the best way to to pass on that information for anyone from Nebraska listening
2: um you can certainly contact you know your your local district Game of parks office we, you know we do have an email it's ngpc.ais at nebraska.gov that goes right to me or you can call 402-471-7602 that's kind of our AIS hotline so um yeah that, that's the best way in the state of nebraska because that gets to me immediately and we've had things before where we've kind of had some false things and i scramble and panicked and fly out of my office trying to get all my samples and like oh oh no um but yeah that's the best way to report anything you see or if you have just, you know random questions as well you know like i said I, I get a lot of calls from people even from out of state you know asking what our regulations are or what they have to do or um, how long do I should let my boat out of here or something like that? But yeah, That's the best way to contact. Perfect.
1: And and anyone here in Iowa, you know, please reach out to your local fisheries management office. Um, you can go to our website and type in fisheries and, and it'll show it. Or if you have a relationship with your local conservation officer, there are great direct pipeline to um our aquatic invasive species folks. And then thirdly, we do have the Turn in Poachers line. Um, that is a great resource throughout all of our states. Um, here in Iowa specifically, it's one 800 532 2020 You can be completely anonymous. Um, if if you see something and you don't want your name attached to it, please uh drop the information so that um it, it can be it can be dealt with and and investigated, and we can move on. Um, so that is an option in all states. Um, if it's something that that comes up and you you're not sure, and you just want to kind of honestly pass it on, that is an option. So,
0: so we I mean we have listed we've talked about many different invasive species and uh, ways of not transporting them and and hitchhikers. And you've mentioned it once, but maybe let's remind our listeners, like, where can they learn more about this and information that they can protect themselves in the waterways? You
2: know, one website I like to send people to is stopaquatichitchhikers.org. That's sort of a national campaign that shows you how to clean, drain, dry, and also has resources on aquatic hitchhikers. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of in Nebraska, we're kind of in the process of updating our website, you know, in Nebraska, it's, outdoornebraskagovernor um, out Nebraska.gov slash AIS. Um, you know, but, you know, that's where you can find a lot more information, um, on that. But yeah, yeah. You know, stop is a great resource. It shows how to clean, drain, dry on numerous different things, including like waterfowl, uh, uh, canoes, other boats. Um, you know, so yeah, that's a great resource I would send people, um, um to as well.
1: Well, I'm, I've had my eyes open to the world of AIS as spooky and as daunting and, and maybe scary as it can sound. Um, you know, we've, we've certainly learned a lot and, and it really is all about education, learning, figuring out, um, identifying and then asking questions when you, when you're unsure. Um, As we kind of wrap up today, Christopher, do you have any other information? Um, You kind of mentioned the stop aquatic hitchhikers.org sounds like a great website to, to really learn more and to understand how to clean your boat, how to drain it, those types of things, but any other information you'd like to share with our listeners before we, uh, before we sign off for the day?
2: Yeah. I, um, yeah, I just, you know, kind of like we talked about, it's so important for people to help us, you know stop these invasive species right so um i guess the last thing i kind of want to say is just remember to clean drain dry. we say that over and over and over and over over again um and also to thank all your listeners that do do the right thing that helps me sleep at night i'm not always so worried about things like that but um yeah no i i i appreciate y'all having me and yeah that's the biggest thing is you know, you know like i said with such small programs uh, you know we we you know we we need the public's help you know there it's, it's it's not a choice for us and that's why we spend so much time doing it and that's why i you know when i'm out doing my inspections or my surveys i love when i see someone do that with, you know they clean their boat they're draining it they're drying it my god like, oh, makes me so happy so <laughs> so yeah that's that's something i'm very grateful for and yeah hopefully uh you know we can keep fighting the good fight
1: and I just want to put one more plug out. If, if listeners are trying to learn more, they want to try and get on their, maybe their vegetation ID. They're not sure if it is that curly leaf or maybe it's some other, you know, lily pad, what we always call a lily pad. Like if you want to learn how to identify um, Texas A&M, their AgriLife extension, they have an amazing kind of aqua plant identifier and we'll drop it in the show notes but um, it's a great place like maybe you have your own pond in your backyard and you're trying to figure out like what is growing in it it's a great place to start to really try and um to identify what's going on there so um just wanted to throw out that one additional resource that that i've found to to be a great asset
2: yeah i was going to mention that yeah that as well because yeah it it is a fantastic resource and that's where i send people um you know if if they want to know for themselves kind of what's growing in their pond yeah great yeah yes yeah great machine.
0: <laughs> rachel will you repeat what that that website is again please
1: yeah so it at texas a m that's kind of their extension program it's called AgriLife, and they have an aqua plant tool that allows you to diagnose like pond plants and algae um and so we can drop that direct link into the show notes so that people can can learn what's in their backyard or what's in their neighborhood pond or what's in their river or maybe their giant um retention pond or, or um pond down the road so
2: yeah, it's a yeah great- it also has a bunch of resources on how to manage the plants as well with herbicides and stuff like that um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic resource.
1: Well, Christopher, I can't thank you enough for your time and, and for your, just the excitement that comes out when we start talking about, uh, aquatic invasive species. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing, um. You know, I, I encourage our listeners to get on their state's respective AIS pages. You really can dig down and figure out what the different species look like. Um, maybe watch some of those silver carp videos to, <laughs> to really understand what we were talking about. Um, but at the end of the day, please make sure you are you're taking the time to really pull the plug, clean, drain, dry. It doesn't matter how big or small your vessel is. Um, if it's the if it's the floating giant unicorn that goes down the river, you know, enjoy it with your life jacket, and then make sure you clean it when you're done. Um, so, thanks again for your time this morning, and. Uh, It's been, it's been a wonderful discussion. So um, with that listeners, we can't wait to see you outdoors.